You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back on your Thursday morning. I'm Patrick Dumas with Peter Klein. Filling in for George Russick and Matty Rose. They're off. They'll be back next week when everybody else is back. Uh, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, and we're joined by NHL on Sportsnet host David Amber. DA, thanks for joining us this morning. How you doing, buddy? Happy holidays. How are you guys? Yes, happy holidays indeed. Hope you had a, had a wonderful uh, Christmas and, uh, and continue to have a, a great new year. Uh, we're back. The NHL's back after uh, after a little holiday break. 14 games last night. Uh, we'll start with the Flames. Uh, they drop a tough one. Uh, 2-1 to the Seattle Kraken. They they outplay them for, for a majority of that night and, you know, run into a hot goalie and Chris Drieger, who's, you know, former Calgary Hitman coming back to the Dome. First game since May 1st of 2022. And he had a hell of a performance. What were your takeaways from that one? It was eerily reminiscent of what plagued the Flames yeah. pretty much all last year, right? Like these one-goal losses where they outplay a team, they outshoot a team by a, by a big number, and they just can't finish. And maybe that's the biggest difference we're noticing between, you know, this iteration and last year's iteration of the Flames and the one that, you know, had Kachuk and and Gaudreau is you, you kind of had those dynamic finishers. You kind of had that, that one line, of course, with Lindholm, Gaudreau, and Kachuk was arguably the best line in hockey two years ago. And you knew up a goal, down a goal, whatever the circumstance was, you could throw those guys out there and they were going to, you know, control the play, control the puck, and, and more often than not put together some scoring chances and very frequently actually put the puck in the net. The Flames just don't seem to have that you know, level of offensive, you know, dynamic players right now. So they have to rely on other people to contribute. It has to be scoring by committee, the Sharon Govich's and the Blake Coleman's and, you know, Connor Zary and everyone else stepping up. Um, and sometimes those guys are going to be held off the sheet. And it just felt very reminiscent to, to last year a little bit in, in that loss for the Flames. And it's tough because you're looking in the standings and Arizona wins and Seattle wins and, you know, the, all these teams you're trying to track down or trying to stay close with, you know, Minnesota wins. Uh, they're picking up points, and you're saying, man, it's, it's a really tough situation because the league is so tight. There's so much parity in the league. So it was, it was a tough one for the Flames last night. On, on the good side, though, fellas, I mean, Markstrom looked very good, very solid. And, again, if you have Jacob Markstrom playing, you know, a consistent level of hockey that we're used to seeing from him or we have seen from him in the past, uh, that puts the Flames in a really good position night in, night out. Uh, the two major acquisitions last year, Nazem Kadri and, and uh, well, I guess three. You know, McK- McK- I forget about Mackenzie Weger sometimes because he's, he's doing all right. He's not one to worry about. But mm. but Nazem Kadri uh, and then Jonathan Huberto. Kadri playing his best hockey right now, I feel, with the Calgary Flames. He's, he's on pace for just under 60 points. It's kind of probably what they expected from him. And he's doing it playing with two rookies on his line for a majority of the time in Connor Zari and, and Martin Pospisil. Do you think that's maybe helped him just overall just see wh- how he is as a player now and in his evolution? Yeah, I mean, I think Kadri's a really smart guy. I think he recognizes, you know, he's not an 18-year-old new yeah. into the league. He's been doing this a long time. He's won a Stanley Cup. He has signed a big contract. There's big expectations, not just to produce on the ice, but to provide some leadership when it's needed. And I, I think he embraces that. I think he's a guy that guys like playing with. He works his butt off. He uh, likes the puck on his stick. And if you're with guys who know where to get him the puck and distribute it, uh, he's the kind of guy who could do something with it. So 
quite honestly, I think that's Kadri has been, you know, I think pretty much what the what the Flames had wanted. Obviously, they expect a bit more production, um, but you know, we have to recognize he's not with McKinnon and Rantanen and you know Landis Cog and guys like that. He's not, you know, he's not necessarily going to drive a line offensively all on his own in that case. But I think these, you know, has some talented players with him now, and there's probably a lot of upside to to where he is in the lineup right now with the Flames. The opposition last night, the Seattle Kraken, one of the the feel-good stories of last season, making it to the postseason. Uh, And just watching that game last night, they had a lot of, ooh, I like that guy. Oh, I like that guy. Oh, that's a guy who I like. Uh, But they find themselves on the outside looking into the playoff picture right now. Do you view this as a a Kraken team that could threaten for a playoff spot down the stretch here? It's so funny, right? Two years ago, 60 points, major disappointment. Everyone was comparing them. Oh, can they be like Vegas from their inaugural year? And And obviously, we realized within about a month, okay, they're like a regular expansion team. They're not going to be very good. They don't have a lot of offensive uh, firepower. Then they made a lot of good moves. At the trade deadline, they shipped out a lot of players, including a former Flames captain, Mark Giordano, who came to the Leafs. They stockpiled a bunch of picks and prospects. And then last year, they found lightning in a bottle, right, guys? It was, it was really you know, crazy to watch a team go from 60 points and pretty much relevant in the hockey uh, landscape to a 100-point team that upsets Colorado, comes within you know, one goal of upsetting Dallas and getting all the way into the Stanley Cup semis, right? And you're kind of going, wow, this is amazing. And then here they are. They've regressed this year. And I guess the big question is, you know, are they that 60-point team or are they that 100-point team? And my answer would be that they underachieved maybe at 60, they overachieved at 100, and they're really that middle of the road between those two teams, which kind of slots them in with, you know, two-thirds of the league in that, in that muddy middle, you know, that messy middle where you're, you're maybe going to make the playoffs, you're maybe going to miss the playoffs by six, seven, eight points. Uh, or, or, you know, you don't really know exactly where you stand. You have to go on a bit of a hot streak to, to sort of weed yourself out of that group. So I look at Seattle as a team that works hard. They're structured. Uh, when they get good goaltending, as they got last night, and that hasn't been the case generally in, in their first two seasons, they haven't had particularly strong goaltending. Even in that 100-point season, they were near the bottom of the league in save percentage, um, but they were near the top of the league in shooting percentage, and they seem to just really take advantage of all their opportunities. Um, you know, I look at them as a team where they're going to try and build through a foundation, the Maddie Beniers of the world. And, you know, it's been a bit of a sophomore struggle for him. He hasn't been the same guy that we saw win the Calder Trophy a year ago as Rookie of the Year, but he's been getting better, I think, as the season's progressed. Um, but it's going to be a team that's predicated on strong goaltending and pretty structured play, and they're not going to excite the heck out of you. Um, they have a lot of guys who are sort of middle-of-the-pack kind of uh, grinding guys, but they'll come at you in waves. And I think that's sort of the tenacity is what their trademark is. Um, you know, do I look at them as a playoff team this year? No, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'll be a little surprised if at the end of the year, the Seattle uh, team is, is holding down one of the top eight spots in the West, but at the same time, they're, they're night in night out going to be someone who's going to be pesky and a pain in the butt to get past. Uh, also from the NHL last night, the Avalanche blow a 4 nothing lead to lose to, to Arizona 5-4. to four. Uh, The Avs are still first in the Central Division. Uh, the teams below them do have uh, a couple games in hand. But uh, but my expert hockey analysis uh, says, vibes seem off in Colorado right now. Uh, not, not, not a lot of great headlines coming out of the Avalanche. How concerned should Avalanche fans be about what's going on with that team right now? There is some concerns. And the big, the big thing, the big storyline is... 
they had that when they won the Stanley Cup, they had that great depth up the middle. And what's happened since then? Kadri leaves in free agency. You know, Landis Cog obviously has been injured pretty much. He hasn't played a game since they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, they go and they trade for Ryan Johansson. And the same thing that plagued Ryan Johansson throughout his career, wherever he has been, uh, you look at him and on paper, he looks so, you know, six foot four and lots of skill and all these things. And it's underwhelming when you get him on your team. He just, on a night-in, night-out basis, he isn't performing to the level you assume he will be able to perform to. doesn't mean he doesn't show flashes, but it's just not on a night-in, night-out basis. So there's a real lack of depth in that, you know, C2 position right now. Um, Alex Newhook, they, they traded off to Montreal, so I think they sort of banked on this Johansson deal working, and it hasn't really worked as well as they'd hoped. And kind of like the Edmonton Oilers, when you look at, when you look at Colorado, they're just it's so incredibly top-heavy. Everything has to go through McKinnon, Ranson, and Kale McCarr. And if it's not for those guys, then what's going to happen? And what's the identity of this team? You know, the identity when they won the Stanley Cup, they were just so deep and so good. You know, they were a cup team. Like, they were just that. They could keep rolling those lines out. During the Stanley Cup final, they didn't have to re- rely strictly on McCarr and McKinnon. Those guys, they literally were rolling out second, third, fourth line, then you felt like, wow, these guys are coming at waves and these guys have such great depth. That depth is gone now. And we see that with Stanley Cup winners. That's why it's so hard to repeat. So I do think that's a concern. And the question is, you know, how they're going to address the lack of depth. And, you know, can Ryan Johansson step up and be a formidable guy who can drive a line? Um, Because it hasn't really happened so far this year. And can they stay healthy? Because they've had a number of significant injuries and they continue to be sort of plagued by guys stepping out of the lineup for two or three games because they're banged up. So um, those are a lot of question marks. I still look at Colorado as a very formidable team and could be definitely there when all is said and done, when the dust settles in the West. But there are some question marks surrounding the ass right now. It seems like this year there are like the, the, the issues that some of the top teams have are very clear by this point, maybe more clear than, than we've seen in the past. Like you said, like Colorado, uh, Winnipeg as well could probably use the second line center. The Leafs have needed a defenseman since I was 15 years old. Edmonton needs a, a goalie again. Um, like it seems like there are a lot of teams that have real defined needs and a lot of teams that are kind of defined sellers this year. Do you think, um, with all due respect to our trade deadline coverage and all of that, do you think we may get a, an earlier start to the trade season this year, given how many teams actually have a, a few holds that are pretty clearly needing, uh, needing to be plugged? Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a standstill. And again, that all goes back to the salary cap. There's teams that are dying to make moves that don't have the cap space to make moves. The Maple Leafs obviously opened up some space when John Klinberg went on LTIR and he's done for the year. So they opened up some space to go out and figure it out. I think when you look at teams like the Calgary Flames, who probably and might be in a position of, of moving some of their, their talented defensemen, you know, and, and, and Lindholm too, you know, when you talk about Hannafin and Tanev, I think the asking price is probably pretty high, which makes sense because there's a pretty good marketplace for them. And they want to wait. There's no real rush. If you're Craig Conroy, why are you going to rush to, to move Tanev or rush to move Hannafin? Especially when you yourself are also in, you know, you're in peaking distance of uh of a playoff spot yourself. So you have to weigh all of those, those, you know, the situation. Um, but it's been a slow grind. Uh, March 8th is still look two plus months away. Teams have time, but I know if I'm a GM, I don't think you want to necessarily integrate two or three or four players on March 8th and know you have like 10 games left and then it's the playoffs. We even saw that in Toronto last year. They made a, a number of moves 
you know, bringing in Lafferty and bringing in Ryan O'Reilly and bringing in, uh, you know, a number of other guys. I think they brought in five or six guys up leading up to the trade deadline. And the chemistry just didn't, it didn't mesh quickly enough. And yeah, I know they at least won a playoff round last year, but it didn't necessarily feel like there was complete cohesiveness on the team. So I definitely think um, right now you got that mushy middle we talked about, where there's just still so many teams trying to decide, are we contenders, are we pretenders, or what? I mean, when you look at the West, Nashville's holding down the last wild card, and within seven points of them, you have five teams. So it's just you, you still have five teams sitting there, including Edmonton, saying, well, we're expecting to be a playoff team. We're not sellers, we're buyers. So I think the marketplace needs to sort of figure itself out a little bit more. You need a few more teams to sort of, decide what they're going to do you know if you're the philadelphia flyers who no one expected to be even competitive this year and you're sitting third in the metro you're, you're firmly in a playoff spot right now it's a hard sell to say we're going to get rid of some of our defensemen that people are calling about nick seal or sean walker or whatever it's hard to say how yeah, we're going to trade these guys when you're sitting in a firm playoff spot so i think things need to sort of sort themselves out over the next few weeks and i think the marketplace is going to heat up and i'm sure there's some gms who would love to do some things quicker as opposed to waiting till march 8th but I don't think the marketplace is there yet to do those moves. Uh, we're chatting with David Amber, NHL on Sportsnet, host down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. David, has there been a more crazy, like, I don't think any team has been through as much news off the ice than the Ottawa Senators have been in 2023. Obviously, the ownership change, uh, you know, the Debrinket deal, you know, you lose a first-round pick with the Shane Pinto gambling and whatnot. Pierre Dorian's gone. DJ Smith's gone. Jacques Martin back. And he plays in or he coaches in his first battle of Ontario since 2004 last night, getting up a getting mm-hmm. a win. Uh, is there just as you ever seen a, a a more crazy year for a team? Well, there's certainly been a no shortage of storylines, and we in the media appreciate that. It gives us something to talk about. Oh yeah, uh, I was down at the uh, the pregame skate yesterday um, here in Toronto for the Ottawa uh, Toronto game, and had a chance to speak to some members of the Ottawa organization and. They're just like, well, hopefully the stability is coming here. <laughs> and, and the way you get stability is by winning. And, yeah. and one thing that hasn't happened for the Senators who sit dead last in the East right now is winning. Um, you know, if they can get a little bit of momentum and a little bit of winning and they feel like Jacques Martin has been able to sort of steady the ship, bring some structure, uh, it'll quiet the noise and quiet things down. There are a lot of people, though, and I've talked to a lot of people on, on different shows and on our panel uh, on TV say, you know, like they've changed the coaches, they've changed GMs. We've seen so much upheaval in Ottawa over the years. Um, they have a good young nucleus, but they probably have to change up the feel of the team. And the way you do that is by changing some of the players. So it doesn't mean blowing it up. You know, you obviously have Kachuk, Stutzla, Sanderson. You know, you have this great nucleus there uh, you'll build around. But maybe some of the other periphery guys you're going to have to try and move on from. Some of the guys who are supposed to be part of that sort of core, you know, sub-nucleus, we'll say, of the team, uh, and just change the feel of the locker room, the feel of, of how, you know, the identity of the team. So I think they're trying to figure things out. Uh, you know, last night was probably a big step for them, though. They've blown all these leads yeah. in, the, in the last two weeks, um, you know, including under Jacques Martin. They come back from a two-goal deficit on the road against Toronto, so maybe this could be the start of something. They do have a lot of games in hand. They're not dead in the water mm-hmm. yet, but certainly – you're asking a team that's been below 500 to play like lights out to have a shot to make the playoffs this year. Of the, uh, this is obviously like sports radio fodder in this country this time of year, uh, but of the three current Canadian teams that are in postseason spots, uh, the Canucks, Jets, and Leafs, who's the most likely to end this drought? 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's a tough one. What do you think? Because I, you know, I can't. That's very, very hard to answer. I uh, I look at the goaltending, and I think you know, I, obviously that probably eliminates Toronto, and I think of Vancouver and Winnipeg because they probably have the. I, I don't know, probably two, maybe at least one of them is a Vezda finalist in Thatcher Demko. I know Hellebuck, he's been getting a lot more rest uh, in Winnipeg now that Laurent Brassois has been back. And I think if they can add a, uh, a second-line center uh, to that mix and then, you know, you get Kyle Connor back, I think the Jets could be that team. And I, I think, obviously, I think their division's easier to come out of as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. The Jets, to me, are a real team. Haven't allowed more than three goals since November 23rd. Yeah, it's nuts. And I know they lost last night. And by the yeah. way, Connor Bedard, yeah. did he not look a little bit like Connor McDavid? Oh. He takes the puck in <laughs> overtime inside his own blue line with a head of steam. He's going to watching the game at home. And I just said, this kid's going to score. Like, oh, yeah. he came in. And you watch Josh Morrissey, who was an elite, elite defenseman, back up, back up, backed up all the way to his own hash marks. And then Bedard, <laughs> you know, lets that shot go. And Hellebuck didn't even see it. So I, you know, again, I, I, you know, boy, Bedard, that thing's pretty special. And we actually, I don't know if you've got a chance to watch the uh, New Jer- any of the New Jersey Devils game last night, but Luke Hughes scored a similar goal in mm. the final minutes and the Devils to overtime. Think about two, you know, teenagers, uh, you know, making plays like that. It's pretty incredible. So there's definitely a good, you know, group of young stars coming up. But to answer your question, you know, to me, the Jets are the, are the purest team. They're mm. not dependent on one player and, they, they, you know, that third line with, with Appleton and Larry and Niederreiter's arguably the best third line, the identity line that can grind you out. That's yeah. how you win playoff series often with those types of players as your depth players. So I do look at the Jets as a, they're going to be a really tough out. Um, but then I watch the Canucks and Demko to me has been the best goalie in the National Hockey mm-hmm. League. And they also have all that high end talent. You go, wow. Um, it's exciting to me. I, I think. I think, you know, any of those two, and the one thing I'll say about Toronto is this, is I think what you're seeing right now is the Maple Leafs is not what you're going to see after March 8th. Yeah. You know, you guys know Brad Trey living better than anyone, and his track record, he's not going to stand still. The Leafs will have at least, I imagine, two new players, um, and formidable players, Mm -hmm. I think, going to be added to their lineup. Guys who could be, you know, depth guys, but but add grit, add a little bit of size, uh, add a little bit of snarliness and add some skill to this team. And, you know, imagine if they do add, what if they do get Tanev plus another D-man? Um, it doesn't necessarily solve their goaltending issues, but I know they do have some confidence in Joseph Wall, who's out with a high ankle sprain right now. If Joseph Wall could stay healthy and you add two solid defensemen in front of them, you know, all bets are off. The Leafs could be that team yeah. uh, in uh, come, come April or May. So we'll see. Uh, and let's not sleep on the Oilers. I know, I know. I know. Don't want to hear this, but... Th- Let's put it this way. If the Oilers make the playoffs, and that's a massive if, they have a big hill to climb here, but if the Oilers make the playoffs, and I think they will, does anyone want to play the Oilers in the playoffs? I just worry. Want to face that too? I, like, I, I, think they can, they, I think they can fight in the series. I just worry about the road matchups. Mm. Like them like be, not being able to match lines uh, up with the, like, uh, against the top teams. I just think that's where it's going to come back and hurt them. But I think if they can add a defenseman, I know they're going to use that. They, ha- they have to use that first-round pick at the deadline to bring in something. If they're any sort of close to a playoff spot come the deadline, that first-round pick needs to be moved again. Yeah, I think of, of all the teams, arguably the most pressure is on Edmonton right now. You can't miss the playoffs. That's, that's not a choice. No. That's not an option. You can't have... Connor McDavid in his prime, Leon Dreisaitl, et cetera, et cetera. You can't have the group you have up front um, at the situation they're in. And knowing that Dreisaitl's 
contracts up in a year, knowing McDavid's <laughs> contracts up in two, you can't miss the playoffs. That just doesn't seem like an option. I don't think the Oilers will miss the playoffs. I do think they're a playoff team, and I don't think anyone will want to play them. And when you mention the Leafs goaltending, which I think is a, a very, you know, reasonable, you know, d- position to take, that man, their goaltending has been letting them down. The Oilers, that's probably mm-hmm. they might be the number one team, kind of going we. I just don't think it's going to work. You know, Jack Campbell's now buried at, at Bakersfield, and and obviously, you know, Stuart Skinner has shown moments, but certainly hasn't been consistent enough. So I wonder, you know, if that's the big move. You know, if you can find a bona fide guy, and I don't know who that is, so I'm not even going to throw out any names. But if you find a bona fide guy to add to that Oiler team, does that change the complete complexion there? And then they suddenly become arguably Canada's best chance to win a cup. So. I don't know. There's lots of good storylines here, that's for sure, and it makes for a really interesting second half of the season. Let's just have them get to at least a couple of them get to the second round. That's all we're asking. We just want them to yeah, get to you, the second you round. Yeah, that's the goal. Like, I, you know, it's funny. You know, 1993 is a long time yeah. ago, and for many people, it's their whole lifetime. For a whole generation of fans, they've never known a Canadian team to be, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a, a bona fide Stanley Cup champion. And I think um, the wait's been long, and maybe this is the year it comes to an end, but there's a, a lot of work to be done. Let's hope, DA. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. All the best uh, in the final days of 2023, and all the best in the new year. And we'll do this again very soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Have a great day, and uh, enjoy the games tonight. We'll see you soon. For sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, there you go. There's David Amber, NHL on Sportsnet host, uh, breaking down around some stories around the NHL. Uh, again, Flames off until Sunday when they take on the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll park the hockey conversation for a second, move on to the National Football League. Week 17, two weeks left to go. 24 teams still have a chance to make the postseason. We talked to our NFL analyst from CBS Sports, Westwood One, and the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross Tucker's next as the big show rolls on here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Week 17 in the National Football League gets underway tonight in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns hosting the New York Jets. The Browns with a win will clinch only their third playoff spot since coming back to Cleveland in 1999. And uh, we are joined every Thursday by our NFL insider brought to you by Tom's House of Pizza. Enjoy football Sundays with food specials and happy hour all day long. Visit Tom'sHouseOfPizza.com. Pizza made to perfection. We're joined by Ross Tucker from CB- NFL and CBS, Westwood One, and the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross, how are you doing this morning, buddy? I am doing awesome. Anytime we come back with a little Snoop Doggy oh, yeah. Dog, you guys are getting me uh, pumped up for this segment. <laughs> by the way, how do you guys how do you guys pronounce the word M-O-B-I-L-E? M-O-B- mobile. Yeah, so you mo- both mobile. say mobile? Yeah, mobile. Yeah, it's interesting because you had a commercial as I was coming back as we were coming back back from break during the commercial, and they said mobile. Where it's interesting because everybody in the United States, it's mobile, like Mo- your mobile phone, or he's real, he's really mobile. Whereas you guys go mobile. I mean, I knew a bunch of the differences between. Um, you know, Americans and Canadians, that's one I think I forgot. Mobile. Yeah, and then you got Mobile, Alabama. 
That we agree on. Yes. Yeah. Now that's what we agree on. Yes. Mobile, Alabama. But Ross, week 17 gets underway tonight. It's a big one in Cleveland, at least for the Browns. They have a chance to clinch a playoff spot. How surprising was has it been to see Joe Flacco essentially come off the couch, you know, a month ago. He's got 10 touchdown passes, which I believe that's more than what the New York Jets have. Um, so, yeah, man, just, I'm, I'm enjoying watching the Cleveland Browns uh, since Joe Flacco came along. What have your observations been with this Browns group? Love it. Love everything about it. Um, and, yes, I am surprised. You know, I was not expecting no. Joe to play at this high of a level. I don't think anybody was. I think it's awesome, though. You know, like, I'm 44 now, and so anytime an older guy <laughs> can come out of nowhere off the couch and do something impressive, that's, like, inspiring to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sucking down a venti frappuccino and eating a breakfast sandwich right now. Hell yeah. You know, I'm not exactly in, uh, <laughs> in playing shape. So for a guy like Flacco to come, literally come off the couch, and he's got like five or six kids, it's just unbelievable <laughs> to see him play this well. It's awesome. And, you know, what's so interesting to me about it, because I had a, a guy on the Raw Sucker podcast last week who's like a diehard Browns fan. And he had a really tough time with them signing Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. You know, he really didn't agree with it. Really didn't, you know, it really hurt his fandom that they signed a guy like that. And so this is kind of the type of Cleveland team we can all root for, right? Like, they're never good. They've never been to a Super Bowl. But their they're whole team's injured. They got an old backup quarterback out there slinging it. This is a very likable Browns team, which right or wrong, they really aren't right. Yeah, when when Deshaun Watson's their quarterback, exactly. Uh, but right now, they're they're probably not going to win the division, but they get that five seed, which is probably a trip to the AFC South winner. What like what kind of damage could this Browns team do uh, with Joe Flacco? Because the AFC, yeah, it, it does feel kind of wide open. They could do a lot of damage because. The AFC, to your point, is pretty wide open, although I think Baltimore yeah. is pretty clearly the best team. But that doesn't mean anything in these games. You know, Flacco has a great chance. If they get the five seed and they play at the AFC South champ, Flacco had an unbelievable opportunity to be to pass Tom Brady for the most road playoff wins by a quarterback ever. Wow. You know, I think we lose – they're tied right now. I think we lose sight of the fact that Flacco's typically been so good in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, guys, he has a really good chance to go out there and play at a really high level and be able to, to get some wins for the Browns in the playoffs. We know their defense is good. And now with Flacco playing like this, look out. And, you know, we, we talk about, oh, Matt Stafford possibly returning to Detroit for a playoff game. Well, hey, Baltimore the one seed. Cleveland wins that first round. Flacco could be going back to Baltimore. Unbelievable. Can you imagine? This is why I could never be a uh, an executive for a pro sports league, because I, I would try to rig it to make sure that happens. Exactly, <laughs> I, right? I, I love, sto- love storylines like that so much. I'd be like, listen, don't make this, but it'd be real good if the Browns won this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I'm kidding, of course. Nobody cut that audio and act like I'm serious. I'm kidding. But, uh, man, it must be tempting, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Um, on the other side of the, this Thursday nighter, the, the New York Jets, uh, obviously this season hasn't gone the way they would have thought, but I, I wonder if um, ownership, and I know everyone's coming back for, for next season, but I wonder if ownership is like, okay, like we have some of these excuses, but that team across the field from us has, they're on their fourth starting quarterback, a guy who, like we said, was on the couch like 20 minutes ago, and now he has them in the playoffs and we're six and nine. Like, I feel like a lot of the excuses the Jets maybe have, Cleveland could have used as well, but instead they're 10 and five and the Jets are six and nine. It is a terrific point. It's a fantastic observation. You're exact, and I'll even go a step further. Flacco wanted to play for the Jets. Right. Flacco wanted the Jets to call him and sign it. They didn't. The Jets, for whatever reason, didn't want Flacco, and they could have really given themselves a chance to make the playoffs if they had if they had signed him. But no, they they didn't want him for whatever reason. And they kind of threw away their whole season as a result. Uh, speaking of teams who don't want their quarterbacks anymore, uh, out in Denver, it certainly seems like uh, Russell Wilson and the Broncos' marriage is coming to an end uh, probably by next spring. Um, this seems like a real bold move for a team to make one game out of a playoff spot with two games to go. Obviously, Denver would have to leapfrog just a boatload of teams to, to get into the, the playoffs, but they are still technically alive. Are you surprised at the, the timing uh, of all of this uh, drama coming out of Denver? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I'm most surprised by is the fact that earlier, according to multiple reports, and I talked about this today and posted a video about it on social media, but according to multiple reports, you know, even when they were winning and on that streak earlier in the year, they were trying to get Russell Wilson all the way back in October and throughout November to give up his injury guarantee in his contract. Um, and he wasn't willing to do it. And good for him. He shouldn't do it. But that's the part that kind of rubs me the wrong way, that they were trying to do that, which, by the way, is why – you know, it's not illegal. There's nothing wrong with them trying to get them to do that. It's just kind of poor form, which is why I just want everybody to remember that when some of these teams go ahead and guys have holdouts or holdings next August trying to get more money. You know, these teams are going to do whatever they can to try to leverage whatever situation they can for their business, which is why the players have to do whatever they can to leverage their situation for their business. I'm actually more surprised by the timing going back to October and early November than I am that they're doing this now. Well, and it's like you talk about like that, that kind of message being sent or whatever. There's still 52 other dudes in that locker room who are looking around like, well, like this is this feels like the opposite of I want to run through a wall for this team right now. Again, given that the situation that they're only a game out of a playoff spot. A thousand percent. But. There aren't many guys on the team that really sort of have the clout to say anything or do anything about it. You know, these teams have so much leverage typically that, you know, for the most part, these guys won't say anything. I mean, I can just tell you if I was on the team, you know, and I've, I've been there, you know, I wouldn't say a word, right? Like I'm, I, 
Would I be happy about it? Absolutely not. But I'm just trying to keep my job. And that's the thing. You know, like so many of these players, it's not like the NBA, right? Like these players, like they're just trying to keep their contract, their job. And so most of them, even if they privately don't like it at all, and in fact really dislike it, you're not going to get many of them saying very much about it because they got to worry about themselves. You know, that's why I always say, you know, you're independent contractors um, as opposed to employees. Yeah. And like the, the way a lot of the, the contracts are structured, like it, it can be very cutthroat. And I do think from the outside, a lot of us would like to think we'd be like the guys in Rudy handing our jersey and like, just, just let him play coach. Just let him play. But it's like, no, nah, man, I, I, I got a lot of money that's not necessarily guaranteed to me. So I'm just, I'm going to sit this one out. You guys do you. And uh, I'll just, I'll just be over here hanging out, doing my thing. And that's the truth. And that's how I would be. And it stinks that that's the way it is, but that is the way it is. And you got to, I mean, you know, that's why I always laugh when people are like, you got no loyalty to the team. You know, when you're a player, my team is my family, right? Like, I grew up an Eagles fan. So when I was playing for the Redskins, Cowboys, Bills, Patriots, whoever, like, I didn't grow up fans of those teams. I, I, was, a, I was a hired gun. I was a mercenary brought there to try to help them win football games. And what they were getting out of it was whatever they felt like I brought to the table on the field. And I was trying to get as much financial security for my family as I possibly could. Uh, speaking of the Eagles, you, you had the, the Eagles game on, on Christmas Day against the New York Giants. Philadelphia does get the win, uh, but it does seem like more questions than answers coming out of that one. Uh, what did you make of the, the Eagles' performance against New York on Christmas Day? Yeah, I actually feel better about it, I guess, than a lot of other people do. Hmm. Um, you know, they, they had almost 500 yards of offense. It was the best they've played on offense in a long, long time, and they kind of got everybody going. DeAndre Swift, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts, that's the best he's looked in a while. So that, that was a real positive. And the Giants didn't even have 300 yards of offense. I mean, and that included the 70-yard bomb, which was obviously a mistake by the Eagles. Now, they made some critical errors, and I thought that was some of the concern with some of the issues they had clock management at the end of the first half and Hurts not going out of bounds. But really, the only reason why that game was close was a couple of fluky plays with, you know, Goddard slipping and it being a pick six. And then obviously what happened with the start of the second half with the fumble by Boston Scott when he ran into his own guy, that stuff's not going to happen in many games. Is there any sort of concern about them going into the playoffs playing maybe a softer schedule? I know they had their gauntlet and they didn't go, they didn't play all that well during that. But they're they're ending the season with the Giants, Cardinals, Giants, and then they likely have to play a uh, I don't know maybe the NFC North runner up uh, as the seventh seed. Is there any sort of concern with their soft schedule finishing, or is it just this is a team that'll figure it out come postseason? No, I think it's the opposite. Okay. I think they're probably um, glad that. You know, they can get some momentum and some confidence okay. going into the postseason with some of these teams they're playing. And they just went through an absolute gauntlet of games. When you think about 
all the games on their schedule that they just had to go through. I mean, that was that was tough. Yeah. I mean, you're talking the Bills and the Chiefs and the Cowboys and the Niners. I mean, they just the Seahawks and the Cowboys again, and it just kind of kept coming for them. So, no, I think they're they're happy they're at this part of the schedule. They're trying to get that number two seed and feeling pretty good about what they can do at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we got to let you go uh, in about five minutes here, but just a, th- a thought uh, on the Detroit Lions uh, ending that 30-year drought of uh, without a division title. You know, you, you go back to the introductory press conference with Dan Campbell or uh, bite your kneecaps, you know, everybody making fun of him. Like, who is this goofball? And he's going to be an actual NFL head coach. And, and now look at him. He's completely changed the culture in that city and that team in less, in less than two years. How, how, what are your takeaways with the Detroit Lions and, and them winning their first division title since 1993? It's unbelievable, isn't it? I, I absolutely love it. I mean, for them to be able to do that 30 years ago, yeah. I mean, that is a long, long time. It is awesome. I am thrilled for their fans, all of them. They deserve it. Um, I love everything about it. I, I really do. And I think Dan Campbell deserves a lot of credit. Now, I will say this. I don't think he's the coach of the year. Mm-hmm. I would lean more to Stefanski in Cleveland yeah. or else even looking at Steichen and D'Amico Ryans. I like them more for coach of the year than I like Dan Campbell. But Dan and I were teammates uh, for a little bit in Dallas, yep. and I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled with what they've been able to do. Uh, Ross, what game are you working this weekend? You know what? I just got to the airport. I'm flying to Chicago. I got Falcons at the Bears okay. for CBS, and that's one Eastern on Sunday. And I'm fired up about it because that's why I always laugh. I'm going to write my column this week about quote-unquote meaningless games. Like, nothing could be further from the mm-hmm. truth. I mean, for both these teams, the coaches, you know, there's reports that they're on the hot seat and there's speculation. These teams both need to win, man. Even if even if they can't make the playoffs, I know Atlanta still can. They need to win just to just to keep the, these coaches. Yeah. No, and it's a good chance to evaluate jobs for next year and whatnot. And obviously, Chicago has a, has a big decision to make at quarterback there with, uh, with Justin Fields and a potential first overall pick coming their way uh ross uh thank you so much uh all the best uh the rest of this year and we'll talk to you in 2024 buddy my pleasure sounds great happy new year everybody yeah happy new year to you as well there you go ross tucker nfl on cbs he'll be calling the falcons and the uh, bears this weekend uh 11 o'clock and then uh does some work for westwood one and obviously the tons of podcasts ross tucker football podcast got the gambling podcast as well myfrontpagestory.com it didn't have, it's not really a holiday. I didn't want to push it anymore. He <laughs> hopefully made some good bank over Christmas. But, yeah, Ross Tucker yeah. Uh, joins us every every Thursday thanks to uh, Tom's House of Pizza. Enjoy football Sundays with food specials and happy hour all day long. Visit tomshouseofpizza.com. Pizza made to perfection. Got a, got a few minutes here, too. Uh, we got to do some NFL big bets for Week 17. Uh, Brent Cron will be joining us at the top of the hour to break down the flames and Kraken from last night. Uh, but, yeah, we got to take care of some business here. Uh, hit it, boys. Show me the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Gambling? Who's say anything about gambling? It's not gambling when you know you're going to win. Yeah, it was a successful week for the two guys that aren't here. And uh, Peter Klein as well. He went 4-2. Oh, and two. yeah. Uh, George went 4-2. and two. Maddie went 5-1. and one. That's what he's done all year. He's killing it. I was 2-4. and four. 
Uh, not the greatest time. I, I hate doing these bets when I'm not around. Like, I just kind of, like, I sent them to GBP, like, last Thursday or last Wednesday at, like, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> it was really rushed together. So, hopefully, we get a redeeming uh, week this week. Overall, Maddie's up 59, 35, and 2. I'm 48, 30, 48, 45, and 3. And George, he's 45, 49, and 2. Uh, we got six games to pick from. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll have, We'll play... Matt's, then George's, then we'll do our picks. Okay, so Sounds good to me. first game will be the Jets and the Browns. That's Thursday nighter. Cleveland coming in at a seven and a half point favorite over under set at 34 and a half. Maddie, what do you got? The Bengals had their left tackle miss the birth of his child last weekend just to lose. Meanwhile, within the division, 100 year old Joe Flacco is setting Browns franchise records with Amory Cooper despise it but i'm taking the browns minus seven Ooh. and a half i hate that hook like there's a lot of hooks on this three and yeah. a half three and a half but yeah okay so maddie is uh brown he's going with a mary cooper with a mary cooper uh cleveland minus seven and a half uh george who isn't pumped up about flacco versus Simeon tonight <laughs> the brownies have been a sparkling seven to one at home this season i'll take them minus the points Simeon. Simeon versus Amari. Get ready it. for I it. I love it. Uh, so George is taking Browns minus seven and a half. Uh, PK. All right. I guess I'm going against the family here. I am going uh, New York Jets plus seven and a half. I think this Jets defense is going to give Flacco a lot of problems. I do think Cleveland wins this game. I think it's going to be another ugly primetime game. Um, I, I, like, I think Cleveland wins, but I don't think they're going to be able to put up the points to blow out the Jets in this one. So I have uh, New York and I will take the points plus seven and a half. Yeah, it's a primetime game. They've been unders majority of the time. I've, I've lost the stats for it, but I still don't think they're at double digits and wins yet. But uh, they might be actually in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Thursday night primetime game. Either way, I'm taking the under in this one, 34 and a half. I think this is going to be a, a slug it out. Cleveland, will, like the Jets will play defense. They'll play respectable enough, I guess. But I think the Browns will just be a little bit too much. They win this one, you know. 2110, something like that. Yeah. There you go. So I'll take the under uh, between the Browns and the Jets. Uh, game number two. Uh, this one's a Saturday nighter, uh, the last technical Monday night football broadcast of the year. The Detroit Lions, the new division winning Detroit Lions, go into uh, Jerry's world, taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys are six point favorites, over under set at 53 and a half. Jerry Joe, or sorry, uh, Jimmy Johnson going to the Ring of Honor. Yeah, finally. Yeah, exactly. Maddie, what do you say? Oh my goodness, look at that total. So fat and sassy. <laughs> Usually I'd go under anything this large in this particular season, but both teams still have their starting QB. I'm thinking we get a Saturday night shootout, fellas. Taking over 53 and a half. Oof, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be hopefully some fireworks. George. Dallas has trouble beating good teams outside of their win over Philly. This is too many points even though the Cowboys are really good at home. Take the Lions plus the points. Yeah, Detroit plus six, that makes sense. Dallas has been a team that uh, away from uh, field turf, they're not very good. When they play on grass, they're they're paltry. They're terrible. Uh, they're back home. They, yeah. they blow teams out at home. PK, what do you say? Yeah, I, I agree with George's assessment that the, the Cowboys have struggled against good teams. I just don't think Detroit's one of them. Um, all due respect to your division title and all of that, this Lions secondary is... Horrible. I think uh, Dallas puts on a bit of a show here, and I have them covering. So I go Dallas minus six. Dallas minus six. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder if there's any like a little hangover 
for the for the Detroit Lions. Like they still kind of have an outside chance at the first seed, but they're going to need like San Francisco and Philadelphia to lose out and the Lions to win out. Man, uh, that's a big number. I'm going to take the Lions plus six in this one as well. Right. I, I'm going to roll with George. I, I think the Lions uh, can keep this one close. I think we're in for a good game, though. Detroit plus six. Uh, third game of the day is the uh, the first one on Sunday. It's a good one. Uh, number one seed on the line. If Baltimore wins this one, they'll clinch the first spot in the AFC. The bye, the only bye. Uh, they're taking on the Miami Dolphins, coming off a massive win over the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they need a win to keep you know their chances at a at a first seed alive, but they need a win to just keep Buffalo off their tails for the division title. Uh, Baltimore favored at three and a half, over under set at forty seven and a half. Maddie, the Bengals had their left tackle missing nope. the birth of his child just to lose last oh. week. What? Meanwhile, in their division, Lamar Jackson ah. and his squad of <laughs> unheralded group of skill players continue to chug away, knocking off the 49ers in impressive fashion last week despise it but i'm taking the ravens minus three and a half oh maddie hates these picks i know because the bangles are coming up too and he hates when i put the bangles on here uh but yeah ravens plus three and a, or minus three and a half right yeah okay uh george i'm feeling back to back statement wins for the ravens i'll take baltimore minus the points sorry derek how <laughs> how yeah no it's uh <laughs> This is going to be a fun one. I, 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 We've talked about Baltimore being just, you know, like they, they, they plug and play. They, you know, Lamar's playing with a rookie wide receiver and Zay Flowers. You know, Odell shows up every so often. Isaiah Likely is there. Uh, this defense has been rattled, but it still plays so tough. I, 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 out of the teams like, I, I left in the in the playoffs, chances, I don't want to be playing the Ravens in the AFC. No. I think it's a big game. They're at home. They know what's on the line. Give me the Ravens. Uh, I hate that hook. But give me the Ravens minus three and a half. Yeah, two and a half would feel a whole lot better, but going through the key number of three is uh, a bit difficult. Right? I, uh, it's a family play. I like Baltimore minus three and a half. They're we're the most complete the team. Most complete team in the AFC right now. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we're all in agreement there. Baltimore, we're all on the Ravens. Then you know what that means. The Dolphins will win the game. <laughs> uh, Steelers, Seahawks. This one is a sneaky game. Pittsburgh kind of yeah, kept their... It's a big game. It is a massive game for both these teams, both coming in at eight and seven. Uh... I'm rooting, obviously, for the Steelers to get a win in this one to, to keep the Seahawks out of the playoffs, uh, give Green Bay a chance. But, you know, Seattle give them three and a half, over under at 40 and a, 41 and a half. Maddie, what do you say? The Bengals had their left tackle missing the birth of his <laughs> child just to lose here. last yeah. week. Meanwhile, in their division, the Steelers suck. <laughs> and I'm not sold on the Seahawks. Taking under 41 on this one, fellas. Yeah, I, did. I totally didn't know I picked all AFC North <laughs> games in this. So, good. Good content. Uh, Maddie's rolling the under there. I think there's going to be, yeah, I, I tend to agree there. But, George, what do you say? This Steelers and Seahawks game feels like a close one. Both teams have been money to the under the season. I'm leaning that way. Take the under the total here. Well, I feel this is going to be another family play. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> what do you say, PK? That, that, that was my pick as well. Under 41 and a half. Steelers defense is real good. Their offense sucks. Um, Seattle's won their last two games, 20 to 17, which is under 41 and a half. I will say this, though, with Pittsburgh. Since they've gone away from Mitch Trubisky in their last four games, they were bookmarkers. Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky for two, and then Mason Rudolph. I should have been more on the Steelers being like a quarterback named Rudolph on Christmas Eve was going to beat the uh, Colts. Yeah, yeah. He should have made more sense. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's going to win this one. I think Mason Rudolph comes crashing down to earth, going into the 12th man. 
Uh, I'm, I, I don't want to be the family. I'm going to be different. I'm going to take Seattle minus three and a half. Love it. Yeah. I hate it. But I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati, Kansas City is your next game. Chiefs, obviously, big struggle right now. Uh, Arrowhead's not a tough place to play. The Bengals coming off a massive stinker uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Chiefs coming in. Touchdown. Something stinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chiefs coming in. Touchdown favorites over under 44 and a half. Maddie. The Bengals had their left tackle missing the birth <laughs> of his child just to lose last week. He'll be back this week and they are going to lay a gosh darn beat down on the Chiefs in Browning Head. Woo 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 day. Browning Head. Bengals plus seven. Woo day. Please. Please. Woo 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 day. <laughs> so he's on the Bengals plus seven. All right. Bengals plus seven in the game they need to have to save their season. George. Can't lay the Chiefs as a touchdown favorite mm-hmm. anywhere right now with their struggling offense. Take Marty Rose's Bengals plus the points. Okay. Okay. PK, what do you say? I hate this. I'm agreeing with him way too ah. much. It's, yeah. Kansas City's not blowing anyone out. Um, so I'll, I'll go Cincinnati plus seven. Is that where you're going as well? No. Okay. I'm going to play the the total on this one. I'm going to go yeah. over 44 and a half. All right. I think the Chiefs can kind of ride it a little bit. The Bengals defense. Hey, it's not mine. Brinkron's throwing my stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna take the, the I'm gonna take the over in this one. All right, and a half, over forty-four and a half. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, one more game to go on this docket. It's an elimination game at U.S. Bank Field, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. As the Minnesota Vikings will host the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Maddie, what do you say? This is a very large total, and I'm seeing lots of money taking the over. I'm wary. Game indoors. Packers without their top corner. Lots of things telling me that I should go over, except for the most important thing. The gut. Check the standings. Taking under 46 and a half. All right, under 46 and a half uh, on a big one on Sunday night. George, what do you say? Man, this Packers and Vikings game feels like a coin flip. Hate this game. I want Patrick to be happy. (laughs) take Green Bay. Green Bay plus two and a half. Peter, what do you say? I want you to be happy as well, but if you're not, I'm going to profit on your sadness. I like Minnesota minus two and a half. Uh, Green Bay's defense is bad, and they're missing their best player, so that that seems like not a great combination there. Uh, So I I think old tricky Nick Mullins is going to be throwing it all around the field against Green Bay in prime time. I'm so scared they're going to make Nick Mullins look like Joe Montana out there, Uh, because if you take away uh, really that one game against Brett Rippon, the Packers would have the 32nd ranked defense in the league. Yeah, it's they're, bad. They're 30th right now. Only the Cardinals and the Reds. Oh, can't say that. Or Cardinals and Commanders. Wow, that was throwback. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> Washington. Washington. The Commanders. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh, God, I hate this one so much. But you know what? Shout out Jordan Love. Guy's having a hell of a year. I think Green Bay's found another quarterback. Great. We love it. He had to fix that defensive fire, Joe Barry. I'm going to take the under in this one. I, I, I just, I just think it's, it's a prime time spot. I have no feel. I don't, I don't want. No, I'm not even going to put it in there. Under, go under. Minnesota plays really good defense. There's your big bets. Brought to you by Sports Select. Never miss a betting opportunity with Sports Select. More sports, more leagues, and more thrills at SportsSelect.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly. Hopefully, 
We can get you some money. Uh, ride Maddie. He's hot. 59, 35, and 2. Uh, he's got... That's uh, basically what I did. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> these are pretty similar. I'll throw them in the spreadsheet. We'll see what, uh, how it all matches up. But yeah, there you go. Uh, we're late here. We got Brent Cron in studio. Uh, he'll join us next to break down the Flames and the Kraken uh, from last night. That's next as Big Show rolls on here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.